The following is a conversation with Grace Huang. She is a digital rights lawyer and legal counsel at Amnesty International Taiwan. Her areas of practice are law and policy in the digital society, and with a special focus on privacy, cyber law, data governance, cloud computing, and free software. I hope you enjoy. Grace, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. So, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing now in Taipei? Okay. Um, so, right now, currently, I'm a uh, legal counsel at Amnesty International Taiwan. So, I look over the legal affairs of the organization and also um, do some campaigning and advocacy on digital human rights. And how long have you been there? Uh, just a little bit over half of an year. I'm a newbie here, but um, it's been an exciting journey for, yeah. And did you say digital human rights? Exactly, digital human rights. Can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about what that means? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, that word is kind of a catchphrase, but it doesn't really capture the essence of it. So what I mean about digital human rights is not just about uh, rights people have in the digital world or on the internet. So, of course, uh, the right to access internet, uh, the right to f speak freely on internet platforms, a part of the uh, under the umbrella of digital rights, human rights. Uh, but what I mean about digital human rights is really about freedom and um, empowerment in the 21st century. And to capture that in the uh, history uh, at, uh, dimension is because uh, in 21st century, it's a process of having the society adapting to the digital process. And that process of digitalization um, has huge implications visibly or indirectly to uh, freedom and to the power structures within the human society. So back to what I'm doing uh, currently at Amnesty and in my own time is about um, advocating about um, how do we have honest conversation about um, power distribution and freedom within the 21st century with a huge impact of digitalization. So it sounds like it's, it's more than just kind of privacy issues mm. in the digital world. Exactly. It sounds like bigger issues. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So privacy is, of course, a huge part of it. And for me... Privacy is a prerequisite for autonomy and freedom in this digital world. So I'm, I'm sorry, when I say digital world, I'm not just saying metaverse or on the Facebook, but really just how people live, the way people live in the current times. When the digital um, or the internet has really merged with the physical society. Yeah, um, so privacy, having privacy within 21st century would be 
a prerequisite for freedom, for autonomy, and for self determination. And、um, people like to say that、uh, people in the big data forums, how they sell big data and AI, they will say that、um, data is the new data is the new oil. Right,、mm. is the new、uh, fuel to ignite and boost the economy, the digital economy. Okay, and that analogy, if we want to take that analogy and compare it to the、uh, industrialization revolution, where pe- people start to use um, um, engines and essentially like、uh, fossil fuels. To boost the human、uh, progress or the economy, but there are downsides on that、uh, industrialization. Right, we now are coping with、um, uh, climate change, global warming, and stuff that the whole human race are still struggling to figure out. And so, when people say data is the new oil, maybe we can think about privacy destruction. As the climate change in twenty first century, also privacy destruction, like、yeah. the erosion of our privacy. Exactly, exactly. And when I talk about <laughs> privacy,、um, so maybe a lot of people will misconstrue the the concept of privacy. They think it's about、um, celebrities. Uh, not being harassed or like I don't want my personal photos to be spread on the internet. On that sense,、uh, yeah, that is part of a problem of privacy. But the the really、uh, critical and the increasing、uh, risk for privacy now and the, in the twenty first century is that we are in a environment where It is against privacy, right? And by saying environment, I there are two my、uh, two dimensions of it. One environment is the societal environment,、uh, how we socialize, how we、um, make our living, how we how we live as a human in this society. Is there's a privacy problem in that? And on the other side. Uh, in the physical world where、um, we conduct our life, there is also a physical environment that is against our privacy.、Um, Mark, can you imagine?、Uh, is there is it is it is it even possible for a person to live a day without being tracked or have their behavior、um, monitored? Impossible. Yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for a straight answer. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, is there even a, a a decision like when our privacy law or our privacy policy, um, are consent based? They assume that um, they skip the problem about whether it is legitimate to collect data, and they basically says if the data subject. <laughs> or the individual or the citizen agrees consent to the data collection and the data usage, then it's legal.、So, um, however, it is wrong in so many ways. And the first problem is that in the reality, our behavior are often collected. 
without our knowledge, or after we know that, and or after when the data is collected, we knew it, but it's too late. So a um, simple daily example is is that car parking. It used to be anonymous to park a car, right? Whether on street or you have this parking lot, you press and take a ticket, and then you pay for a ticket. But nobody knows what the driver's plate is. However, nowadays there are an emerging and a growing、uh, AI usage on、uh, driver's plate identification, and. Oftentimes, you don't even know that you are entering a parking lot where your driver driver's plate is already being collected and stored in databases that you don't know when they are going to erase it and how they might、uh, use it without your knowledge.、Um, so, so that is just a like a daily simple、um, example for it, for how our、uh, physical environment. Is against privacy. However, I would really like to talk also about the societal、uh, environment. So, what I really want to、uh, talk about is、uh, we should really see privacy as an environmental problem instead of transactions or consents. And the later about、uh, consent is what even the GDPR or other.、Um, Regulations are based on,、uh, and we already talked about that. It's like as long as you have that consent, is the ticket to to basically、uh, collect and use your data. And then the idea that a lot of consent is implied, you know, <laughs> through your conduct and through your exactly, yeah, it, it's implied. And even、uh, in GDPR, they have this more、uh, rigid requirements, right? But they is still a huge problem. For one, is that the three do not do nots like people when when you open your screen and you see a privacy notice.、Uh, what people usually experience is the three do nots. They do not read, or if they read it, they do not understand. And even if they understand it, they do not have the chance to choose. So that is essentially what.、Uh, How people are critical about consent-based regulations, and that are、uh, that is right. However, I would like to take a step forward to say that even if you can get a consent, that is still wrong by design. Why? Because when you're asking and when you are exchanging consents, is a transaction. Is a one-on-one transaction. Is a transaction between. Say Grace and Facebook,、mm. yes, and it would work if there's no.、Uh, it would work in the world where externality doesn't ex- exist, right? When we talk about market failure, one of the problem is externalities, the negative externalities. If Grace and Facebook have this deal that Facebook gives me free service, free social networking. And other great metaverse stuff, and basically, Grace is going to give up her、uh, her d- privacy, her daily behavior 
being collected by Facebook. Okay, that's great. No problem. If that's if there's no externality, but <laughs> the problem, of course, is that this transaction involves a whole lot of、uh, other parties involved. Privacy is and it's not just about one person, but it's a collective. Uh, right is a collective interest for public in a democratic society.、Uh, when one when we say injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, similar to privacy. If there's one person being monitored and couldn't have freedom of thoughts, freedom of speech, then it is going to erode the whole、uh, collective body. So that's the first problem, and it, this is similar to climate change or air pollution, right?、Uh, <laughs> when、um, essentially what is happening to industrial revolution and climate change is that there's a huge、uh, air pollution, water pollution, and like、uh, exploiting the the modern nature and the nat- natural resources, where they gain. The privatized gain are captured by individuals and companies, while the costs are spread across every the the whole earth, not just human being, but the whole earth, including other animals and plants. <laughs> so, and that is so. So there's a analogy to place here with、um, how privacy is should be. Con- Should be perceived as a environmental problem, and I would like to、uh, follow that. Is the contrast of positive and negatives? I mean, the contrast of the gain being so instant and so able to、um, to being privatized and captured, while the cost, the damage, the risk being so ignorable. Mm. It's so lit, the amount the amount every time is so ignorable. It's incremental. It's almost ignorable, just like s- snowflakes. It's like it very shallow、uh, level one, at at once, but like constant and wide spreading.、Mm. And then and, all of a sudden, you have a snowstorm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and this also speaks to the intergenerational justice problem. Just like climate change, right? Just like Greta Thunberg,、um, her generation and the other generations to come, where they already like inherit this huge debt that human beings have been ex-、uh, exploited from the nature. Similarly, in the digital realm, in the privacy and freedom in twenty first century, we adults <laughs> have. Are kind of complicit in different degrees. We know we are at the point that people know Google, Facebook, and all the other big techs are monitoring us and profiting on the surveillance-based business model. We knew it, and however, most of the people we are silent and we still use it. Of course, there's a problem of ecology. Ecological dependency here, and path dependency here, and that's another subject. And this is similar to climate,、um, yeah, to natural environment problem as well. However, 
the younger generations, they do not even have the chance when they are born, or even when they are in the belly of her mom. Right? Mm. Um, when her mom go to take a supersonic picture and it's like, and send it on Twitter and Facebook. Hey, look at my dear darling. Um, even when she's like not even born, her footprints, her uh, her existence is already registered on on the big tax database. And when she grow up, her mom is too busy. Her parents are too busy to take care of her, right? So what we do now is we give the child an iPad, and sh- and like the iPad is the new nanny, is the new pacifier. And that iPad collects everything, what she thinks, what she likes, what she what she's afraid of, everything. It's a whole profile of this human being, and yeah, and this goes on to her um, uh, to her adult, and then to her dad. It's like from cradle to the grave mm. of surveillance. Um, so this is a intergenerational problem. It's not just me, but many scholars have are believing that we are now the last generation to have the chance to think of an alternative to rebuild our social relationship, our power structure on technology. Because technology, they could they could be used for good, and in fact, the internet when they designed internet. In the early ni- 1990s, internet was meant to flip to free people, to destroy ignorance, to help every human being, every mind who wants to learn anything, to access uh, information and knowledge, the resource that they need, and to help them learn and empower them. So internet was meant to design as a as a tool for um, liberty. However, we are seeing that um, surveillance capitalism and digital authoritarianism has cre- creeped in and essentially taken over the internet. And this um, ecological dependency has ha- pretty much locked the whole human race in this weird situation mm. can i um ask you a question about um privacy and the reasons um why we cherish privacy yeah. what are the reasons why we cherish privacy yeah 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 so why why does privacy matter right yes, we right. can still <laughs> we can still lead a happy and like uh, materially like sufficient life without privacy yeah um so i would like to quote i would like to paraphrase what professor julie cohen says about in in her harvard law review article in 2015 in her theory privacy is a breathing room for people to to develop their themselves um and she's using the word selfhood. It's like selfhood is a dynamic process of uh, development. So we can imagine that the three-year-old version of me 
is totally different from now. What, what who I am now, and of course, when I'm fifty years old, I will think and behave totally different from now, right? So, we human beings, every one of us, are developing. This is a fluid and dynamic process, and this is under the context of society. Um, the expectation of the society, or how this ex- external world against you、uh, would respond to how you act and maybe how you think. Therefore, there needs to be a breathing room,、um, a breathing room between our selfhood and the society. So that there's a room for us to test, to think. We, I, I can read far left articles, and I can also read far right articles. And it is a process for people to think freely and build themselves、uh, and have this self determination growing fluidly, dynamically within the society. So that is how、uh, privacy means to to me when I when I'm talking about privacy. So it sounds like privacy is the ability then to act without judgment, or, or to to think without judgment or consequence. Would that be safe? Yes, I would say I would not say act without consequence, right? Yeah, but I, indeed think.、Mm. Yeah. Um. Um. Let me let me think about this. Yes. To is yeah. It's, privacy is essentially the freedom of thoughts, right? Um. And the direct、uh, link between privacy and the,、uh, the freedom of thought is. On anonymity in reading, can I read something that is unbeknownst to other people? So, for instance, in the past, when we have books, <laughs> I hope people now listening still know what a book is,、mm. right? A physical book. Like basically, if you go cashless, you go to a bookstore, you buy you buy it from cash. And you read it, nobody will know it. It's it's you. It's it's just you and the book, and how that book like change or doesn't change you. Um, and then there's like library, and of course there there's registration on library, but it is to some limit. People can still buy books on their own, or just go to the library and not check out, so that it would not be registered. However, we are and then moving forward to eBooks. And now we have a problem about、uh, basically the platform is reading is seeing you reading that book. Which page are you on? And if you do highlighting, if you're a good student, you're a good reader, you highlight, you write notes. Those are all captured and archived. And in, that's what they kind of mean about acting, like our、yeah. our actions in in the way we. Yeah, we're yeah. Living, you know where yeah, we're our going. Our behavior, our behavior data. Right. Yeah. Um. And then if you don't, okay, our listener could say, "Oh, I don't use Tin- Kindle. I don't use Google Books. I'm I don't have that problem. I'm sorry, you still have it if you use、uh, the internet. 
because、mm. basically the browser, the server, the browser and the server behind it is collecting logs. The people who's in charge of the browser could easily see what have you see in one web page, how long have you stayed there, and even the the. The trajectory of your mouse, like where where did you click, and where did you go next, and next, and next, and next. So basically, if you don't go incognito or you don't encrypt your or your internet con-、uh, connection, you're basically transparent. Ah,、uh, what you read of, for example, for instance, if I read about a、uh, a news about Hong Kong's protest. Like this speaks about who you are, right? And if I watch Fox News article, this talks about who I am, and this accumulation of behavior data, and especially how you read, what information you actively or、uh, passively receives, like really pictures out who the the thoughts of you and the the essentially who you are. And this information may not even be known by your closest friends or your or your family, right? Because we are we thought we are reading on our own. We thought we are having this dynamic development of selfhood on our own. But what we are not aware is that there is always a spy, a monitor on that, and that could be a problem. And especially if you are a journalist or if you are. Political dissidents, or you are a.、Um, I think political dissidents is a too strong word.、Uh, but if you believe that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, you believe that、uh, citizens have to always stay woke against power,、um, the power of money, the power of wealth, and the the power of.、Uh, Political and governmental power, and of course, you're gonna read and、uh, be in touch with the materials that the power won't want you to access to.、Mm. And so that monitoring, and also that knowledge of you being monitored, is going to mess up with your mind, right? <laughs> it's、yeah. like how Han Han Chan Xiaoyun the si- silence Han Chan Xiaoyun is there English for that?、Uh, <laughs> let me think about that. Yeah, <laughs> silence effect. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the silence effect, Han Chan Xiaoyun, we often talk about like how we are afraid to speak out. I think it. Yeah. Yeah.、Like、self censorship is. Yeah, self censorship、mm. is. It's often about how we are refrained to to speak and express. It's about freedom of expression. However, I'm taking this to another level that is about freedom of thoughts. I am constantly self checking what I'm read what I'm reading because I'm afraid that people are watching me read some kind of article, and even if there is or there isn't a a, a, per, a monitoring that already affects. My development of selfhood that already affects my freedom of of thought. The philosopher Bentham, yeah, okay, he has this theory about 人形监狱 the circle of yeah, that, that that there's a word for that.、Um. <laughs> <laughs> so people may may argue that well, you don't know if there's really people monitoring you. You only know the possibility of that monitoring. 
And I will respond, yeah, and that is already the problem. So the philosopher Bentham talked about panopticon. And essentially, it is a jailhouse being designed as a, like a donut, right? Mm. It's a secular jailhouse. And the genius of it is that it, they put the, the jailhouse officer within the very center of that jail. And it was in the one-sided mirror. So the prisoner on the outer circle layer wouldn't know if they are being watched at any moment. They, already, they only know that there's a possibility that officers are watching them. But there's no like exact um, confirmation of that. Mm. And that is a surely an efficient way of management, a way of um, controlling, social, social controlling, right? Because you don't need a hundred person to take care of a hundred person. You only need one, or maybe there's no officer in that room, right? But people already are self-censoring. They're only already presuming the expectation that the society or the outer external world uh hope them to and constantly like adapting and self-checking their behavior and that is about behavior and i'm talking about thoughts also can i ask you a question sure, first sure. about this um what if the person watching right, right? yeah what if the guard mm. um in this kind of idea that we're yeah that we're on now was a teacher or a professor, and we were in a smart tutoring system where let's say that we, we knew we were in the system and we were there to learn mm-hmm. in this scenario, or maybe we were there to change a behavior that we weren't really, uh, we didn't like about ourselves. We were a smoker. Like a rehab. Um, a rehab or something yeah. like that. Um, Let's stay with the teacher. So the teacher is there to teach um, and to help bring the student to a a better place. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is, um, let's say we have a particularly enlightened teacher, right? (laughs) And they... They're not judging the student. Yeah. Um, there's there's no consequence really for the student. Um, we're not trying to gather data to to sell them something or to mm. push them to vote in a certain way mm. or exploit them in any way. Yeah. We simply have created the system to help people get to a better place, and mm. that better place is knowledge in this kind of example of whatever, you know, maybe they're in law school or medical school and they need to gather knowledge, right. To, yeah, to become a doctor, that sort of thing. So there are situations in which the system is useful, right? I mean, Mm. um, and I want um, to be in this system and I want to make my, uh, misunderstandings known mm, and my mm. flaws known 
so that I can get to a better place, right? So this gotcha. is my utopian picture of yeah, yeah, yeah. the best you know, educational system. Yeah, th- th- there's no question that this panopticon um, approach is efficient. It is, of course, efficient. The problem is not efficiency, but the freedom of choice first. Is this student free um, make of this decision to come in this camp freely? If the decision is well informed and given freely, then okay. Then we can talk about the second step. Does this have an externality, a negative externality to people outside of this deal? And if there's no negative externality, then yeah, of course, it's efficient, then off you go. Yeah. Mm. But that's not the situation we have here right now. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So then, then my next question is, so um, it's not the system we're in now, and I definitely will agree to that mm. but is it something we should we should strive for i mean th- that we should at least keep the possibility of a situation where our privacy isn't so private yeah so maybe you're talk thinking and talking about uh national security and mm. maybe child porn well, no, 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 no. Uh, that's one yeah. part. Mm. Um, but the other part, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think part of me thinks that the reason why we want, we cherish privacy is mm. that there's a, there's a consequence on the other side of people exploiting us yeah. for our privacy. Mm-hmm. Let's eliminate the exploitation mm-hmm. of the privacy. Exactly. Is that an approach? Sure. And that is like, I guess, the mainstream advocacy's argument. Like what I'm talking about previously about freedom of thoughts, that is like less discussed. Um, however, the exploitation is gaining momentum right now. Uh, for instance, um, surveillance-based advertisements, right? Uh, it's basically um, how how it's so it's 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 it almost explains itself. But I would like to add into the context about the addictive um, elements of social media mm. and the deceptive <laughs> practice that they. <laughs> Not only social media, but like the big techs, they're trying, and also a uh, fairy tale telling uh, element of it. Like, look at the metaphors; it's wonderful, it's utopia, mm. right? Um, so so many layers add, add into this problem, and of course, on the, on a addictive attention merchant platform, we have surveillance based. Advertisement and advertisement could essentially be character, ca- characterized to two uh, two categories. First is profit based. It's like commercial advertisement. People are more uh, tolerate tolerant to commercial um, 
I won't say coercion, but definitely nudging,、mm. right? And if you can, I, I would say I would try to convince those people who are open to commercial、uh, surveillance advertisement that the problem is not only about nudging or making people to buy something.、Uh, of course, that's the problem. But the deeper problem is the whole mechanism of collecting the data. And、um, to monitor every single human being's、um, activity online and more increasingly offline.、Um, so that's the first problem about commercial data,、uh, commercial advertisement. And the more、uh, problematic part is the political advertisement, political political campaigns, where they use. Their knowledge about people's ideology or fear or bias, discriminations, to use as、uh, for their own、um, strategy. For instance, what we see in Trump's twenty sixteen election, and it's not only that, but that is when the public has come to aware about how political.、Um, Political games are using surveillance-based platforms to reshape their power structures.、Mm. I think I the reason why I asked you is because、mm. I I can't figure out myself,、mm. or I'm still trying to learn about、um, this idea that we are definitely being exploited. <laughs> Our data is being exploited. Yeah.、Um, that on the one hand, and then my utopian vision of the future,、mm. where you know you can think and feel, yeah, and do you know what, however you want with with zero consequence, <laughs> and how this will benefit us as a humans in our growth. Got you, got you, and yeah,、uh, my hope is also that like. Maybe not no consequences, but definitely empowerment and freedom,、mm. and that is is essentially what internet was, it,、uh, trying to help solve. Right,、uh, I'm I'm still like I'm I'm talking about pre commercialization of the internet, and so I'm the nature of internet is actually decentralization.、Mm. Is actually about federal federalizing services to to have control of your tools and of yourselves. So what I'm saying is about free software movement. What they're talking about is we still can't have all the advantages and innovations from technology. It's just the surveillance part that's wrong that needs to be fixed. And what we're seeing, and why is this a fun question? Is that we are so stuck in this surveillance-based、uh, surveillance version of the internet that we almost forgot that there's so much alternatives out there, and we feel like, oh man, if I leave Facebook, people, I can't. See what my friends are talking about. I can't reach them, but actually, there are so many ways that 
you can have the same or even better services that doesn't um, that doesn't uh, come against your privacy and your your freedom. And it's also about uh, the hegemony. It's like hegemony is 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 essentially that you can't see the alternative. That's when a hegemony happens. So if Google, I I, I really want to refrain from saying the specific names when big techs are trying to convince, and they they do they do it so successfully. How can we like live without Google? <laughs> How can we live without Facebook? Right. They want you to believe this. They want you to think there's no alternative, or the alternatives are 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 lame. However, they are also buying up the alternative, right? The kill zones in Silicon Valley, how they um, acquire and merge—not merge, how they acquire other possibilities to come into their their side of the game. If you remember that face before Facebook bought. Um, was the Instagram, and before Facebook bought what their messaging, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, yeah, WhatsApp was an encrypted um, message service, and it was only when Facebook bought it and put a backdoor and have it linked to your Facebook account that people start to lose their their well deserved privacy. So, what I'm trying to say is. There are so many alternatives and so many potential for us to rebuild the legal, the politics, and the technical side of for for freedom in twenty first century. And uh, I'm not saying there will be alternative. There is already, there are already alternatives. And of course, the this process of leaving this. Amazingly comfortable surveillance platforms is hard, but if we still do this and with the knowledge of the damage it is having to ourselves and our later generations, it is kind of complicit、uh, in in the part part your is like you're part of the structure of how this is still happening.、Mm. Yeah. You you mentioned national security. <laughs> <laughs> What do you say? What's your response when?、Um, I mean, there's there's a number of kind of situations where you might want to suspend your privacy. I guess national security is one.、Mm. If someone's in danger,、um, immediate danger. You know that、yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, what's your response when people kind of bring that up in this whole context? Yeah, there, there's like a whole list of why privacy should should give way or at least compromise. And of course, I'm not stand, I'm not walking on this very、uh, strong stance that privacy is the one and only priority. I'm not saying this. However, there is also a tendency of us giving up privacy. Too fast.、Mm. Where there are alternatives, where where there are approaches and mechanism that privacy and national security can co-live, where privacy and public health, like COVID, 
、uh, monitoring can co-live. Like every if the policy making process skipped, skip is skipping the the creative and problem solving phase of how we can、uh, design a framework that privacy and and the other interests can co-live and just strip away the privacy and say, oh, if you don't if you want national security. Of course, you're gonna for like give up privacy. Then, on a general sense, I'm I'm I would like to identify this as a problem. And the next step forward is how, like like you said, like um how 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 do we balance? Even the word balance is kind of weird. It's、yeah. like it's like you're、uh, there's a give and take situation, right? So let me take national security as a example, because like different interests, national security, public health, personal immediate safety, child porn, and sexual abusive images across internet. Those are all different issues and can be tackled and co-live with privacy in different ways. Yeah, but national security, I would like. Maybe to talk a little bit about, and this could be weird, but let let us first think about what is national security.、Mm, okay. Right, and whose interest is behind national security? And like, if you think about the whole progress process of human history. Country, the concept of country happens really late in a late phase, and、uh, even countries they change. Like even in the same territory, there are different like power come and go. So if you and sometimes it works in like in advantage for human freedom, and sometimes is a. Is a backlash to human freedom if it's a dictatorship, or if it's more a liberal democratic society. But this, just like selfhood, develops in a dynamic way. So instead of focusing only on stability of countries or stability of power, let us think about freedom and empowerment of human beings first, like. I'm not saying there's a. I'm not saying that it is possible in the near future to have a countryless, amazing human community or communities,、mm. right? But let's not take that option away. If we have a really rigid and strong hand take on national security. That's the first thing I would I like to talk about national security. And secondly, is that the word national security has been a token or a unquestionable, like a 免死金牌 like yeah, for dictatorship or unfree governments.、Mm. And we all know well who, what countries we are talking about. And yeah, we talk about Hong Kong. We talk about Xinjiang, and still, like, 
it's because we are Taiwanese, so we are familiar with that. And it's because we're Taiwanese, we know what the white terror, Bicel Kongbu, that that um, unfree society, how dangerous that is. And so let's not talk about China or Russia or other countries. Let's talk about our own history, Taiwan's Bicel Kongbu. Um, if you read Shi Ming, <laughs> the Taiwan if you read like such a history book or a, a book that is different from what the government wants you to believe in, then that is against national security. So um, I'm, I'm only trying to say that don't get too hyped or too emotionally attached to the word national security because it was often being used as a as a chess for for the powerful people mm. to work against democracy and liberty. Mm. Yeah, but a part of that, yeah, there are still problems about how do we how ta- I'm talking now in about Taiwan right now. So Taiwan, we are generally speaking a liberal democracy country. And how do we live, co-live with China, where it is not only a unfree society, but a where their government is trying to export technology or mechanism of of, of uh, against freedom. So I'm talking about digital Silk World. I'm talking about Building Road. How China is exporting that expansion of power centralized power to africa and other many other countries so we are having this very delicate situation with that country where which is trying to take over us for whatever means and how do we maintain a democracy how do we maintain sanity and uh with such an immediate threat to our own safety, and I'm not, I'm not dodging away from that question, but I'm also like to add in to that conversation for when the conversation is security based. Yeah. Um, so we we I I don't have the answer right now, but it is definitely a a, a need for an honest conversation about how. Do we keep on living as a liberal, democratic society that cherish and respect human beings within our, our own citizens and every human being across the world? And still, like, having this immediate strong threat from the outside, and which is so near to us. Yes. I want to ask you a question about mm. we have a human right to uh, information, mm. arguably. Mm-hmm. To receive information, mm. um, to even impart information um, that's kind of even tied to uh, freedom of speech. Yeah. Um, and there are digital platforms that, well, any digital platform um, can be a platform to, you mentioned this before, nudge us in maybe certain uh, directions to impart propaganda, um, yeah. to impart. Disinformation. Um, disinformation. Right. All of Fake that. Fake news. Fake news, yes. <laughs> all of that. 
And so how, how are we balancing, right, our freedom mm-hmm. of speech, our freedom to impart information, to receive information from information, maybe from nefarious sources that right. want to change the way we think and act and, and change the way we cast our votes and, mm. and that sort of thing. Got you. Yeah, this is one of the questions that we have to think deeply about in like in a Taiwanese context and also in a global context. And before answering that, I would still like to talk a little bit about how surveillance targeting ads make it worse. Okay. Yeah. So in, when we're thinking about information and information distribution, there there is a part when the information is targeting targeting a person or it is whether it's a broadcasting. Is it a one to one or a one to all where everyone it is viewable and observable by everyone? Or is it like a narrowly targeted information? And that there's a distinction to that and of course like what we always, what I always argue, we have to start with protecting private privacy first in order to solve the the problems afterwards. Um, but even about so if okay, we we have this on the table, and now I'm going to talk about disinformation. Mm. And if we're talking about China and Taiwan or cross national. Disinformation is also about information operations, where this could be understand understood in the military tactics. So yeah, super serious national security stuff. Um, and this is yeah, this is huge question. And my observation so far is that the most problematic thing is that we can't judge whether to censor a message simply by the message. You know, um, what I mean is that you can't judge whether this is a fake news, this is a um, information operation, merely by seeing that few sentences that the message is from. Because of, of course, the freedom of speech. So um, if this... Let, let let me just give a bad example. Okay, if the <laughs> uh, this this could be political delicate. All right, all right. So if there's a mess, this is just a hypothetical uh, brainstorming session. <laughs> mm, okay. So on Facebook, if we see a message that says, "Oh, President Chai is so." Um, cruel to the blue collar okay president Tsai have no sympathy for blue collar and how dare she talk so uh, passionately about labor rights when when she becomes the president look at us we're still in misery okay so this is the hypothetical message on facebook okay and if this message alone cannot it could could, could not be like understood Right. So if this message is written by a Taiwanese citizen, then that's her her or his freedom of speech, right? 
However, if this message is written by a five cents umao or a like a nefariously incentivized um, information operation executor, then that's a problem. So the critical differentiation is on what the source is instead of what the message is, mm. and this is itself a huge problem. When we are doing content moderation, right? Because this, when when it is actually a information operation, it will have several white gloves by Sotao. Like it will have like domestic um, pe- helpers and people like many layers of um, delinking from the initial source, and this maybe can, yeah. So. Um, so this information and information operation is really a hard, hard thing for us to tackle. And um, I would just like to add to that is that the ma- because we as users, like we as daily users, when you look at, we only look at a message, right? Um, and we are fast to judge. Whether this is fake news, if this is against my ideology, this is definitely fake news, mm. and and yeah, vice versa. Um, however, the the problem is so way way deeper than that. It's about the source and how if we can technically um, find the source as it happens, because like messages goes like why fast and it goes vir- viral and the Quantity is so is huge. So how do we, as a democratic society, like try to? I would not say manage it, but really to <laughs> to, to to tackle this problem about like source track tracking and while still being open to the freedom of speech and thoughts. Grace, I think that's a a good place to stop. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for for being with us today. Thank you, Mark. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Grace. We look forward to seeing you next time.